Good morning. So the question this morning that I asked JP to have y'all discuss is, have you ever only gotten half the story? And what happened when that was the case? That can, that can get you into a lot of trouble, can it not? Maybe you came upon a conversation that was already in progress, and from the half that you heard of it, you came away with some conclusions. But if you had heard the first half of that conversation, you might have drawn some very different conclusions. Or maybe you were there at the beginning, and then you thought at some point, yeah, I've heard enough of this, and you either tuned out or maybe even walked away. And you missed something that came later that would have greatly affected your understanding of what was going on. Kids are real good at this. Mine are. After they hear, yes, you can play the Xbox, they hear that yes and then switch off immediately. And they never hear after you clean up your room and read for 30 minutes. Oh, is that what you said? Last time I was here when JP and I swapped pulpits, we took a look at the world's most famous Bible verse. And we looked at it in some detail. And we we looked at it in so much detail because that verse is Well, it's easy not to hear the rest of the story with that verse. And if we don't remember that that one verse is actually, did you know that it's in a paragraph? It's one sentence in a a full paragraph. If we don't remember that that most famous verse is one sentence in a paragraph, in fact, that that one most famous verse is the topic sentence of, of a paragraph. If we switch off, we don't listen to the rest. Or if we fail to keep in mind what came before, we could end up in some trouble. So today we're going to look at the full paragraph that that most famous verse occurs in, and that'll be quite beneficial to giving us the rest of the story. It's been read once already, but you know, we're trying to get the context here. It wouldn't hurt to read it again. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. This is the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. 
in God. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together for the help that we need. Oh God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you for how over the course of time you preserved this word so that we might have it today. We thank you that it is a book, it is a word unlike any other book or any other word that we might open up because this word is powerful and life-changing. And we expect you to do that today. We expect you to cause your powerful word to go off in our hearts like a bomb and have major impact. And so would you bring us to this most famous verse and maybe the verses after it that haven't got as much airplay as they should have. Would you speak to us? Would you change us? Would you show us Jesus? Would you exalt him in our midst? Would you change us in the process? We ask in his powerful name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So these are foundational verses about salvation. And as I studied these verses, I had in mind three different types of people. Three different groups, maybe. Three different types of people, three different groups of people who might easily miss the rest of this story. Either because they missed part of the conversation that was already happening in the rest of Scripture before this, or maybe they thought they heard enough and switched off and missed what came after. So here's the three different types of people I had in mind as I was studying these verses. The first type of person would be uh, one who says, all right, these verses about salvation, well, they're nice and all, but they're really not that big of a deal. Because in the end, God's just going to save everybody anyway, right? I mean, after all, a loving God would never really send somebody to hell. That seems extreme, doesn't it? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that first group of people. Maybe you're here this morning and you're investigating things, trying to figure this out. What's this Christianity business anyway? So maybe that's you. But then there's a second group who says, well, I don't think that's right. I think I've read enough in Scripture that seems like there, there are going to be some folks who, who reject this offer of, of salvation. Seems like there are definitely some people who, who won't be saved. And this person would then say, whew, thank God I'm not one of them. Right? Thank God I'm not one who has rejected this offer, but, but I said yes to Jesus. And this person would assume deep down, though they would never say it out loud, but they would assume deep down that they had something to do with their saying yes to Jesus. That they had something to do with not rejecting this 
offer. They, they would say, well, it was, it was my choosing to believe in Jesus that saved me, right? Maybe, maybe that's you. This third group of people, it's a little different viewpoint. They would say, yeah, well, these salvation verses, that's all well and good, but what does that have to do with me? Because I got saved a long time ago. That was in the past. These salvation verses, they don't have anything to do with me today. Three people that I had in mind while I studied about these verses about salvation and particularly about understanding the rest of the story. So that's what I want to try to do is work through these verses to get the rest of the story and I'm still thinking about these three different types of people. All right, so let's begin by remembering our problem that we often face. And our problem that we often face is where we end up with only half the story. By hearing what we want to hear and switching off or not paying attention to what came before. This key verse from last time, the world's most famous verse, John 3:16. Everybody loves that. I don't know of anybody who's read that verse and said, oh, I got a bone to pick with that verse. No, everybody loves that. And really even the next verse and even the one after that. Well, well, let's try reading back through this and, and just see how far we get still liking everything that we hear. For God so loved the world, everybody loves that, that he gave his only son, no problems there, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We all love that. All right, next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's good news. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Yes, yes, check, check, check. Sign me up for that. Uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Good with that. But maybe we stop there. Maybe we stop there because that's where most people would like to stop because we're still all feeling warm and fuzzy. That's good so far, right? No, nothing to quibble about yet, nothing to have a problem with. We stop there and then we can conclude, hey, we're all gonna be okay in the end. All right, God sent his son not to condemn, not to judge. Well, isn't that a breath of fresh air? Because I got a lot of friends a lot of Christians that I know, and they, they talk a lot about sin. They even talk about hell and judgment on the last day, and it's scary. But look, it says right here, didn't send his son to condemn. Whew. But if you kept reading in this Gospel of John it would be pretty interesting. You would find what might seem even to be some contradictions. You might find in chapter 5, where John says that all judgment is given to the Son, uh-oh, you might find in chapter 9 where Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world. Don't you just love that? 
when the scriptures throw you a curveball and you got to say, oh, what do I do with this? Well, you need to do something with it, but I don't think you have to get all hot and bothered by this. I, I don't think that this actually is a contradiction here because what John's talking about here in our verses today, chapter 3, is the purpose for which the Father sent the Son. The purpose of sending the Son was not to judge or to condemn. The purpose, end of verse 17, was to save. And John's reasoning is pretty clear here, and it makes some sense if you think about it. It would not make sense to send the Son to condemn. Why? Well, because the world's already condemned. You don't have to send the Son to do something that's already done. See, that's the less popular, often unheard, second half of verse 18. See, we stopped. Remember, we stopped. If we kept reading, the unbelieving world is condemned already. It's completely unnecessary for God to send the Son to condemn what was already utterly and completely ruined. So, to come to John 3.16 and even 17 and to think that somehow, oh, we're all going to be okay in the end, that there's not going to be any of that harsh judging or condemning, that's both to miss what came before and what comes after. You'd have to miss an enormous part of the first half of the conversation. God's Word is very explicit. We're not born in some neutral state. We're definitely not born good with the potential to be corrupted later. No, we're, we're already condemned. We're, we're not children of innocence. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we're children of wrath. We're, we're God's enemies from the get-go, by nature. So the purpose of sending the Son the purpose of the Son coming is not to say, trust me or I'll condemn you. That's not it. His purpose in coming is to say, trust in me. I want to rescue you because you are condemned already. See, this, this is the bad news. This was the other question that when JP asked for a question, this was the other question that I thought about. This is the bad news that you need to hear before the good news makes any sense at all. Right? We try to offer people the good news all the time, and a lot of times it's just blah, 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 blah. They've got no context for it because we didn't start with the bad news. And admittedly, it's kind of a conversation killer to talk about being condemned already, if that's where you're going to start. And <laughs> but at some point, we've got to have that bad news to give the good news some place to land. Jesus comes and he says, hey, buddy, hey, friend, you're condemned. You're a goner. You have no hope unless I rescue you. You're going to suffer eternally for your sin and rebellion unless you receive my free gift. 
my gift of suffering the punishment that you deserve, of, of dying the death that you deserve to die. Trust that, and I'll remove your condemnation from you. But reject that, and you'll face what you already have coming to you. Do you, do you see the difference? There's, there's a difference there. It's very different from believe in me or I'll condemn you. Uh, the, the last verse, I, I had to cut it short somewhere. Uh, if we were to read to the end of John 3, the very last verse, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, the wrath is already there. Reject the Son that God has sent and the wrath remains, but receive the Son and it's removed. So no, we're not all okay. Many will, in fact, reject the Son and will face the resulting condemnation and wrath of God. But for those who do receive this gift, why? Why do they receive it? Why do they receive it instead of reject it? This, this is a huge question. And it's one that you need to wrestle with until you can answer it. And this is the second group of people that I have in mind. All right, so if you're here this morning and you would claim to be a Christian, you would say that, yes, I've received the gift of God's Son. I I'm trusting in who He is and what He has done as my substitute. But then you consider your neighbor or your coworker, or maybe even a member of your family who has not received that gift. Why does one receive but another reject? What makes the difference? Is it how smart you are? Is it your upbringing, right? Is it whether or not mama raised you right? Is it how moral you've been? Why does one person remain under condemnation while another experiences rescue from that condemnation? Look, look at the text with me, verse 19. What exactly is this condemnation that we're talking about in the first place? Verse 19 says, and this is the judgment. And that's the same root word here, condemnation, from verse 18. It's the same word family. One's a verb, one's a noun, but it's, we're talking about the same thing. The light, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. Now, if we were to back up and start all the way in chapter 1, at the, very, the prologue of this gospel, you'll know that John talks about Jesus as being the light. The light has come, right? So, the light has come, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. See, see the, already the already present condemnation here is that by nature we are haters of the light 
and lovers of darkness. Y'all, we are all screwed up on the inside. We hate what we should love, and we love what we should hate. That's our natural bent. It's our instinct because of the fall. We're ruined that way. And it started in the garden that day when they acted out of their rebellious and unbelieving hearts, and they ate, and they said, oh, no, we're naked. We're exposed. Oh, the shame. I need to hide. Adam, God says, Eve, where are you? What do they say? Oh, we hid. Look at verse 20 in our passage today. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's the problem. That's the condemnation. We love darkness and hate the light God has sent. Now, go back to my question. Why do some receive the light? Why do some come to the light, experience rescue from their condemnation, and others do not? Verse 21 talks about coming to the light, not rejecting the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that does what is true, that's a we think that's a Jewish idiom, a Jewish expression that, that means doing the right thing. And coming to the light is the right thing to do. But it's something that very few people do. You know that from your own experience. Right? Look around you. Right? When you look around you, are people flocking to Jesus in droves? Are they beating down the doors of this church on a Sunday morning? Are they beating down the doors of my church on a Sunday morning saying, we can't wait to get in there and bow down to King Jesus and submit our lives to Him? Why do many, many more people reject the light instead of coming to the light? Because it's the natural bent of the human heart to hate light. So, what causes some then to come? Because some do. Some do come to the light. What causes that? The heart that hates light and loves darkness somehow has to become a heart that loves light and hates darkness. How can a natural bent and inclination of the human heart be overcome? It won't be by willpower. You've got to have a new heart to do that. You don't just up and decide one day, you know what? I think I'm going to love what I hate and hate what I love. I'm just going to do that out of the blue. No one ever does that. To overcome the natural condition of the human heart, you need a supernatural and miraculous intervention. If we were to consider the larger context of these verses, of this paragraph, it comes in chapter 3 where Jesus is having a very important conversation with a man named Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus is a moral, religious, learned, upright leader, pillar in the community. And he approaches Jesus and they start having a conversation. And Jesus tells this man, all of his credentials before you, tells this man, you can't see or enter God's kingdom unless you're born again. In essence, Nicodemus, you need a new heart. Your old one is dead. And it's keeping you from seeing and entering the kingdom of God. I know that JP recently had you in Ezekiel 36, talking about the Spirit's work of removing the old heart, putting in the new heart. Removing the heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. And when that happens, then you can come to the light. Then you can begin to love light and hate darkness the way that it was supposed to be. Then verse 21, the second half, it's going to show, it will be clearly seen that God's been at work. This is a work that has to be carried out in God. Friend, if you profess this morning to be a Christ follower, I hope you don't think that was your idea. That idea for you to begin to be a Christ follower, for you to begin to love light and hate darkness, that idea was born in the mind of God and He carried it out. He is who makes the difference. What makes the difference? Why does one receive? Why does one reject? He makes the difference. And if that's something you struggle with, just keep reading through this gospel. <laughs> keep going. You will be additionally challenged, but also helped in this area. Now, I've got this one last group of people to apply these verses to. The group that thinks these verses don't apply to them. Because these are about salvation, and y'all, that's in the past. That was a long time ago when I made my decision for Jesus, when I walked the aisle or did whatever it was that you did. But let me tell you this, here's why these verses do in fact pertain to everyone here this morning. It's because someone here this morning is having an affair. Perhaps several of you Do I have your attention now? Someone here is having an affair with darkness. You came to the light years ago, probably. And light was your one true love. Or at least he started out that way. He was supposed to be. But you've been having a fling with darkness. And you and light have been growing further and further apart. You know why you're growing further apart? 
Because now when you're with light, you feel exposed and ashamed. Now, I want to make a distinction here. I want to be careful. Pastorally, when you first came to the light, when God intervened supernaturally, gave you a new heart, which allowed you to love light and hate darkness for the very first time, when that happened, that change happened in an instant. But the effects of that change were not completed in an instant. Okay? The effects of that change will be a work of God's grace over the entirety of your life. And there will be a mixture and a battle in your heart. There will be both love of light and some residual love of darkness. And that battle, that war will rage inside of you until the day that you die or the day that Jesus comes back. But there will be in that battle, there will be in that war, steady progress. Painfully slow progress. But steady progress whereby you will, bit by bit, Love light a little bit more, hate darkness a little bit more. There will be a slow and steady progress over the course of time. So when I say someone here is having an affair with darkness, having a fling with darkness, that's not what I'm talking about. That's the normal struggle of the Christian life. What I'm talking about this morning is Sounding a warning for those of you having an affair with darkness is when the progress in that battle has stopped. Maybe it's even become reversed. And you find yourself loving darkness a little bit more and a little bit more and light a little bit less and a little bit less. And I have no idea what it is. It could be an actual affair. It might be an affair just in your mind and in your heart. Maybe you've checked out of your marriage. It's just not doing it for you anymore. You might be loving darkness in what you're looking at on your computer screen or on your phone. You might be loving darkness in harboring the bitterness that you've allowed to take root in your heart. Maybe you feel you've got the right to hang on to that grudge that you're holding on to. You might be loving darkness in the pursuit of worldly success and wealth and possessions. It could be any of a thousand things. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, then I've got two things for you. One is a warning. And the other is a reminder of hope. The warning is, don't think this isn't a big deal. Don't assume that you're okay or that this will get better on its own. Because friends, if that reverse progress continues, 
you may eventually prove yourself to have never really loved light at all. You might prove that you were never given a new heart in the first place. Maybe all you had those many years ago was just some emotional experience. Be warned, but also be reminded that there is tremendous reason for hope. The hope is that light has come. And light does have power over the darkness. Light has defeated darkness. He reigns over it. Whoever trusts in the light, verse 18, is not condemned. It's a call on Him. Cry out to Him, new and afresh. Allow Him to expose the darkness, thereby weakening its power. Maybe, practically speaking, part of crying out to Jesus, part of exposing that darkness, would be to talk to another believer about it in in your growth groups that Danny was talking about. Talk to your growth group about it. Talk to JP about it. Talk to another leader about it. Perhaps as you, as we come to the table this morning, you'll bring with you those feelings that you still sometimes have for the darkness. And you'll confess those new and afresh, and you'll say, oh Lord, my, my heart's still drawn there sometimes. I hate it, but it is. And you'll ask the Lord with His powerful grace at present at the table that He'll help you love light more and hate darkness more. Maybe that's what you'll do here at this table this morning. This table's actually got something to say for each of these three groups of people that I mentioned. This table's a great reminder that no, we're not all okay. In fact, we are also not okay that the Son of God had to suffer and die. His flesh had to be torn apart. His blood had to be spilled. That's how not okay we all were. It's another place to be reminded that this was, this was God's idea. He thought this up. He carries it out in each of your lives. It's His Spirit that powerfully works and gives a new heart. We would never place our trust in Jesus on our own if it weren't for His supernatural and miraculous intervening. This is a good reminder for all of us, for all of us this morning. This is a good completion of the rest of this story. But Father, would you take this story? Because it's a story that you're telling. It's a story that you started, that you're actively involved in the middle parts, and it's a story that you will finish by your grace and by your power.
Would you by your Spirit's power, by your Spirit's giving of new hearts and removing hearts of stone, would you cause this story to come alive for someone this morning for the very first time? Would you cause this powerful story this morning to stop someone dead in their tracks as they are having an affair with darkness? And by the power of your grace, would you draw them back? Would you give all of us a fresh appreciation for your sovereign grace at work in this story? We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. He placed us in the palm of his hand. And he's never going to let us go. Take this story, O oh God, and use it powerfully in all of our lives and hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.